You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. We are in the next to last week of a series in Proverbs uh, that's entitled, In All Your Ways Acknowledge Him. In All Our Ways Acknowledge God. Uh, uh, If you are looking ahead on the sermon schedule, uh, we were supposed to talk this morning about wise fear, and I've switched the last two. We'll talk about wise fear next week. This week I want to talk about wise future, a wise future. I read a story recently about a farmer who has had a, a remarkable year, so probably not this year. Farmers are off to a rough start, too much rain, rough weather, but uh, this was some time ago, and this farmer had a, a remarkable year. In fact, the yield was, was so great that he realized, I don't have to farm ever again. I've got enough to last me the rest of my life. He only had one problem. Where am I going to keep all of it? The bounty was so great, he was so well off, that he just didn't have room for all that he had harvested. And so he made a plan, which made all sorts of sense to him. He said, I'm just going to have to build bigger barns. And so he did. He built bigger barns, packed all his stuff away, realized he had all he needed to live and relax for the rest of his life. And the very night he finished... God appeared to him and said, you fool, tonight is your last night on the earth. Now who gets all your stuff? Well, if you've read the Bible very much, you probably remember that Jesus told that story in Luke chapter 12. Several interesting things about it. One of the striking things is that the man's plans don't seem all that foolish to us. Right? I mean, storing up extra wealth so that someday we can sit back and relax and enjoy it? I mean, isn't that what retirement is? Seems like a good plan to us, but Jesus calls him foolish. Why? Well, Jesus is especially making a point here about wealth. This man was saving and hoarding wealth for this world, but he was poor towards God. He was saving up for this life with no regard for the next. And God comes to him and says, that's foolish. But Jesus is also saying something, not just about our wealth, but about our planning. About our planning. He doesn't mention the proverb we're going to look at this morning, which is Proverbs chapter 19. He doesn't mention that proverb, but I think it captures well what Jesus is getting at in his story. So look at Proverbs 19. And again, we're going to look at just one verse, just one short proverb this morning and consider what it means for us, what it means for having a wise future. Proverbs 19, verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 21. Proverbs 19, 21. This is God's word. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many of the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 
Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, we pray now um, that in this time that we have, that your plan and your purpose and your will for us would be accomplished, that we would encounter you and your word, that we would encounter the wisdom that it gives us, that it would challenge us and confront us where we need to be challenged and confront us, that it would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and that it would change us where we need to be more like and more pleasing to you. So I pray that your word would be powerful to accomplish your purposes in us during this time. I pray that you would give me wisdom and clarity to speak that which is true and helpful and honoring to Christ. I pray you'd bless us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a plan? What is a plan? A plan is a decision that we make about what we want the future to look like. A plan is a decision we make about what we want the future to look like. Sometimes those plans are small. Every night before, every evening before my day off, Kelly wants to know, what are we doing tomorrow? She doesn't want to wake up and just kind of coast through the day. She wants to know, what's the plan, right? What are we going to do tomorrow? A small thing, I suppose, but important. Sometimes our plans are small. Sometimes they're big. We celebrated just a couple weeks ago uh, the anniversary of D-Day. A massive plan. Months and months and months in the making. A million men involved. Thousands and thousands of tons of weapons and ammunition involved. A massive undertaking requiring extraordinary planning with huge and lasting significance on whether the plan fails or succeed. Sometimes the plans are small. Sometimes the plans are big. Sometimes our plans are good. Think about a plan to host a surprise birthday party for someone, to give them some special treat and special experience. That's a good plan. Sometimes those plans are bad. This same word for plan here is this word used in the book of Esther to describe Haman, that wicked man's plan to destroy all of the Jewish people. And repeatedly it talks about Haman's plans to exterminate a people that he couldn't stand. Sometimes our plans are small, sometimes they're big. Sometimes our plans are good and sometimes they're bad. But all plans are a decision about what we want the future to look like. And we do this all the time. That's what the first part of our verse says. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Think about all the things in life that require planning. Think about a wedding. The morning after Kelly and I got engaged, she was on the phone all day, reserving places, reserving caterers. We only got five months we have to plan. Five months to me sounds like an eternity to plan anything. Right? Five months is, but she's like, no, it's not very long. We've got to plan. Weddings typically require a great deal of planning. Or welcoming a new baby into your home. Mothers begin to, what do they say, nest, right? Everything's got to be in place. Everything needs to be ready well in advance. We've got to create the environment. We've got to plan for the arrival of this child. A vacation requires planning. If you're going to cruise for six weeks, do you need to plan? You need to plan. Paying for kids to go to college. I'm start planning early. Preparing for retirement. You need a plan. Many things in life require planning. We can't hardly help but plan, and in most cases, we'd be foolish not to. 
So, so what is this proverb trying to tell us? What is it trying to say? Some proverbs give very clear instructions. They tell us to do something. Well, take the ones right before and after this one. We're in verse 21. Look at verse 20. It says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Well, it's not hard to figure out what we're supposed to do there. Take advice. Don't go it alone. Look for good advice, good counsel, and follow it. You'll be glad you did. Pretty easy to figure out what that proverb's telling us to do. I'll look at the one after it. Verse 22. What's desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man's better than a liar. Well, it's not quite so obvious, but it's not hard to figure out. We need to be people of steadfast love, loyalty, and faithfulness to those in our lives. So what's our proverb telling us? It doesn't really tell us to do anything. It doesn't tell us to be anything. It's not telling us not to plan. That's not even possible or wise. And it doesn't tell us exactly what to plan. How could one proverb do that? What this proverb is trying to do, if we'll listen to it, is bring wisdom to bear on our planning. To bring wisdom to the mindset that should accompany our planning. So, I want to come at it this way this morning. Three affirmations that we need to make to bring wisdom to bear on the planning in our lives. Here's the first affirmation. God has a plan. God has a plan. Well, why don't you say it with me? God has a plan. We need to affirm that, and we need to know it. In fact, the passage we read earlier in our service shows us that that's what it means at some level. That's what it means to be God. We were in Isaiah 46 earlier, and he says, God does. He says, remember the former things of old. He says, I'm God. There's no other. Remember the former things of old. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. God says, look, unlike all these other gods, where they take you know, gold to a metalsmith and he makes a statue and then the person who brought the gold picks up the statue and carries it. God says, I've been carrying you, my people, for generations. He says, they pick up that God, they set it down and they worship it. That God can't do anything, he says. He says, you know what I can do? Ancient times to future times, I declare it before it happens because I am causing it to happen. I am guiding it and directing it to accomplish my purposes. What it means to be God against over all these false gods is his direction and his rule and his guidance over the events and happenings in this world. God has a plan, and it is unfailingly being accomplished. What does he have a plan for? What things is he directing? It's, it's staggering, really, how comprehensive this is. It's all the way to the level of small and inanimate creation. In Job, it says this, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things we can't comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour. By the breath of God, ice is given. The broad waters are frozen fast. 
He loads the thick clouds with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. I was saying, rain falls, God made it fall. Ice forms, God made it form. Snow falls, God made it snow. Storms come, God makes it storm. All of those things are accomplishing his purpose. Inanimate creation is directed by God. Animals, God provides for and cares about, for instance, birds. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Or later in Matthew 10, he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. These two birds are flying along. One falls out of the sky. This is God's buying that. Animals. Uh, seemingly random or chance events. Just a couple Proverbs back in Proverbs 16. says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And we might say today, uh, you go toss a dice. Why does it end up the way it does? Proverbs says, because God said that it would end up that way. I says, no, it's random. I says, no, it's not. No, it's not. Now, now these events are caused by God. And, and we could say, in some sense, caused by the creatures as well, right? All the things we just said could be said to have a natural cause. We know something of the science behind rain and snow and storms and how animals feed and why they die and the physics of throwing a dice and why it might land a certain way. We're not saying those things aren't true. We're simply asserting with the Bible that even all of those things fall out according to God's will and God's plan. We could go on to bigger things. The rise and fall of nations. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, that great king, ruler of Babylon, greatest kingdom in the, in the world, and God punishes him for his vanity. He runs around like an animal for a long period of time. And when his sanity is finally restored, Nebuchadnezzar says this, I bless the Most High, I praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Here's the most powerful king in the world saying, God rules and he rules forever and nobody can stop him and no one can put a finger in his face and say, what are you doing? He does whatever he pleases. God rules over the affairs of nations. He rules over all aspects of our lives and plans for them. David says in Psalm 139, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. He's referring to when he was in the womb. He says, In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David's saying, The plan for my life you wrote before I was ever born. God determines where and when we live. Paul in Acts 17 says in Athens, he says, We... God made from one man every nation mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why were you born when you were born? Why were you born where you were born and to whom you were born? Gone. No accident. Gone. How long we will live is in God's hands. Job says of mankind that his days are determined the number of his months is with you, God, and you've appointed his limits. He cannot pass. The days of our life, the length of our life is in God's hands. Even in some measure, the decisions we will make. Proverbs 21, 1, 
says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Here's a king ruling. Think of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. What is he going to do? Whatever God wants him to do. Imagine a little kid with a hose. We're filling our pool a couple weeks ago, and it seems pretty easy. It's a big pool, plenty of room. They can't keep that hose in the pool. All over the place, right? Wherever Ian, three-year-old Ian, wants it to go, soaking things that don't need to be wet. It says, the king's heart, the ruler of his country, the sovereign who's in charge, his heart's in the hand of the Lord. God's guiding him, directing him, accomplishing God's purposes. That kind of God should seem big and glorious and powerful to us and happy. And happy. Think about it. Our greatest unhappiness has usually come from disappointed or thwarted plans, dreams. Our plans are visions for the future that don't come to pass. We dream of one kind of life, but we ended up with another. We planned for this outcome, but it doesn't come to pass. We've been wanting this, but we can't make it happen. And sometimes even if our plans do come to pass, we might find out down the road that that wasn't actually a good plan at all. Or the thing that we wanted to see happen doesn't actually please or satisfy us in the end. But none of that ever happens to God. It never happens to Him. In an ultimate sense, God always gets what He wants. His plans are never ultimately thwarted. He never sits back in disappointment and says, well, that didn't turn out like I'd hoped. God is the sovereign king of the universe. His ultimate plan always comes to pass. So he's an extraordinarily happy God. He has a plan that cannot and will not fail. So our first affirmation this morning is we try to bring wisdom to bear on our planning is God has a plan that is being accomplished. Here's the second affirmation. I'm not God. Say, say it with me. I'm not God. Let's say it again. We need to be reminded. I'm not God. Compared to God, our planning is, well, it's kind of like an old friend of mine named Jeff. A number of years ago, 20 years ago anyway, uh, a group of friends and I, we, we left church one Sunday afternoon. We got lunch real quick, and, and we were going to take it. This is over Saginaw. We're going to uh, jump in a car and drive up to Tawas, which is up on Lake Huron on the lake. And a friend of ours had a cabin up there on the lake, and we were going to go spend the afternoon swimming and jet skiing and this sort of thing. And Jeff, my friend, was going to drive, and he had a little Mustang convertible. So we met, and we piled into this convertible, and we started to drive up to Tawas. And it's oh, maybe an hour and a half drive. And so he heads a little bit north out from kind of where we met up. And we got to the highway, and it seemed clear to me that we needed to go this way, right? Because Saginaw's here, and Tawas is up to the north and east. And we got on the highway, and he started this way. And I said, well, didn't you, didn't you want to go east over to 75? And then we pick up 23 and head up. And he goes, no, I, just, I was just up at Tawas last week. And I said, and this is the way you went? And he said, this is the way I went. I'm like, all right, all right. So maybe he's got a different way he kind of cuts up. And so we drove for 10 or 15 minutes. We went past Midland, past Sanford Lake. And I said, man, Jeff, I don't know. I said, I just, it doesn't feel right. We need to go north and east of Bay City, and we're headed west. 
It just doesn't seem, you know, we're on US 10. I said, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Uh, and he said, he said, I'm telling you, I went there last weekend. This is the way we went. Like, All right. So we drove for maybe another 15 or 20 miles. And I'm just really bothered. I'm like, I, this can't be right. It just can't be right, unless my geography is really bad. And my geography is not really bad. Uh, I said, so I said, Jeff, I, I said, I, look, I said, maybe we should stop. This is years before smartphones. Maybe we should stop at a gas station and look at a map. I said, I just, I'd feel better if we had just was, you know, could see what your plan was here. And he, he's getting irritated. He's like, Ben, I was just there last weekend. This is the way we went. And uh, I said, okay, look, how about this? Just, just answer me one question. What exit are you planning to get off here to go to Tawas? That was a long pause. Eight, ten seconds. And he says, hey, maybe we should stop and look at a map. We've spent almost an hour on a highway going the wrong direction, and he doesn't even know what exit he's looking for. That's no plan. That's no plan, right? And sometimes we have no plan. We're going in life. We got some idea, some vague sense of where we want to be, but no real plan, or at least no good plan. Sometimes we have plans, but they're poor or foolish or not well thought out. Sometimes we have plans that make some kind of sense. We just don't have the power to make them happen or bring them to pass. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. People are anxious and he says, look, how many of you by worrying can add, can add an hour to your life? The answer, of course, is nobody can do that. Worrying can't add any time to your life. There's certainly many things we can do to shorten the length of our life, but nothing we can do to add even one hour. God is sovereign, and we are not. We're not God. Sometimes we don't have plans. Sometimes our plans are poor. Sometimes we have good plans, but we can't make them happen. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but we don't have the power to ensure that they come to pass, which means we must approach our planning with a profound humility. A profound humility. Do you remember that passage in James chapter 4? where he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town, we'll spend a year there, we'll trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Proverbs 21 says something similar. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring. There is a humility that ought to be attendant to our planning. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We're not God. We don't have power to make our plans come to pass. We're not wise enough to know that our plans are the very best plans and very thing that ought to, in fact, happen. God's plans never fail. Ours often do. So our plans, our decisions about what the future should look like are, are never ultimate. So we should plan with great humility. Now, all of this raises lots of interesting and complicated questions. How do God's plans and our plans relate to each other? Does it even matter if we plan since God's plans 
are ultimately going to come to pass? Uh, are bad things, evil things, part of God's plan? And if so, what does that say about him? And those are all good questions, but it's not really what the writer to the Proverbs is concerned with here this morning. He's not raising complex theological or metaphysical or philosophical questions about the relationship between a sovereign God and free and responsible people. Uh, The biblical writers just assume that people make plans, they make decisions, and that they're responsible for them. And at the same time, that God's plan and His will is ultimate. His plan will ultimately prevail. I'll give you a well-known example. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph is hated by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He has a pretty miserable time in Egypt till God intervenes on his behalf. And through remarkable and providential means, he's exalted to the second most powerful place in Egypt. And then some time passes and his brothers, who had hated him and sold him into slavery and wished him dead, they show back up. And now all of a sudden, he's in charge. They're coming to him. Their livelihood, their survival depends on him. And of course, he might expect, as, as they expected when they found out who it was, that he would respond with vengeance and justice and take matters into his hands. But instead, he says this to them about their hatred of and selling him into slavery. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? Good. You meant it for evil. That was the decision they had made. They had meant to do him harm. He says, but above that, God was using your bad decision to accomplish good. Now, how do those things go together? That's not easy. But the biblical writers aren't real concerned about it. It just doesn't seem to bother them. They just assert that it's true. God has a plan that will come to pass. We are responsible people who must make decisions we have to give an account for. God is sovereign. God has a plan. We are not God. And that leads us to our third affirmation this morning. That's this. God's plan is good. God's plan is good. Think about it with me for a moment. Suppose I changed the words of this proverb. I don't normally think that's a good idea with the Bible, but for illustrative purposes this morning, let me change the wording of this proverb for a minute and think about it. Suppose I change the words of this proverb to, many are the plans in the mind of Janie, but it's the purpose of Steve that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of Janie, but it's the purpose of Steve that will stand. Now, I know that my amended text isn't quite analogous. Steve isn't God, all-powerful and all-knowing. Sometimes Janie's plans are probably better than Steve's, but Steve's the leader of the family. He takes responsibility for their welfare and the hard decisions. So my question is, if the proverb said, many are in the plans in the mind of Janie, but it's the purpose of Steve that will stand, would that be good news for Janie? If that were the case, would that be good news for her? That she may have plans, but ultimately, they're going to follow Steve's plans. Well, if Steve and his plans are foolish, unrealistic, and selfish, then the answer for Janie would clearly be no. That's not good news. 
But what if Steve's plans for their family were always remarkably wise and generous and successful? Well, if that were the case, if that were the case, then, then even if Janie didn't always understand why Steve planned what he did, she'd go along with it. She'd embrace it. She'd say, Steve, you, you made good decisions for us. You made good plans. I'll trust you because I know you're looking out for us. And I know you've made good decisions in the past. The Proverbs good news if Steve's a good planner. Well, unlike Steve, our God is all-powerful and all-knowing. So the question then is, is he good? Is it good news that we might make many plans, but that it's actually God's plans that will stand? And if God is good, then we will humbly submit to and defer to his plans. Even when we wouldn't do it that way. Even when it doesn't make sense to us and we don't see how it's likely to play out. We would just look and say, well, he, we know he's good. We know his plans are for our good. We know they turn out well. We know he can pull it off. We wouldn't arrogantly suppose that our plans are best. We wouldn't demand of God that he'd do it our way. We'd persevere in faith if we knew he was good, even when things got hard, knowing that he's working it all out for our ultimate good. So, is he good? Is the fact that his plan is being accomplished good news for us? And the place we have to go to answer that question is the cross. Because there we see God's plan and intention and heart for us. It's there at the cross that we see that God is not a taker, but a giver. We see at the cross that God is not needy, but full and eager to bless. Because at the cross, God gives His, his Son, His beloved holy, sinless son, gives him up to suffer and to die for us. In a statement that says, I am for you and I am for your good. So Paul will say in Romans 8 of God, he'll say, he who didn't, didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also freely give us all things? In other words, what, what do you think God is holding back? What good thing is God holding back? He's already given the best thing that he has. And on the cross, God's plan is successful. It's vindicated. It's accomplished. God's people are redeemed of their sin, forgiven of their sin, made right with God, brought into his family. God's eternal good purposes are accomplished and displayed on the cross. He's not obligated to do it. Nothing forces his hand. He does it freely. He does it out of love. So that all who come to God through faith in Christ might be brought into his family, might enjoy his goodness and his blessing and his favor forever. If God is good, then his plan, his sovereign control is good for us. And on the cross, we see clearly that he is. He is a good and gracious and loving God. 
So all those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ can confidently claim a glorious and wonderful future and eternity with God. We might say, oh, I'd like to write my story a little differently. Well, no doubt we would. But better for us to trust him. He writes it better than we will. And the story in his hands will take different turns and different twists than we would have it take. But we know that it's for our good. We know that for all those who put their faith in Christ and trust him, their future is glorious and wonderful. And at the same time, those who refuse God and reject Christ, well, they'll chart their own path. They'll chart their own path. They'll do what they want. They'll go their own way. And Proverbs 14 spells that out. says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Well, the worst thing in the world God could do to us perhaps is to give us up to our own plans, to give us up to our own way and our own wisdom, to let us chart our own course. The best thing he could do is draw us to himself, trusting him in faith, confident that he is He is writing our story, guiding our path down ways and turns that we might never pick, but that accomplish his wise and good purposes. So as we finish this morning, what does this ultimately mean for our planning as we think about the future? Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be will be established. If you make your life plan up without regard for God, you can be sure you will end up disappointed. You can be sure. Even if the plans you form for this life seem to come together, in the end we will see, we will all see that this life is short and brief. And when it ends, we must answer to God. If you put your life plan together without regard to God, His will, His word, and His ways, even if it comes together perfectly for you, it seems, in this life, you will be disappointed in the end. But if you plan your life about God's plans, God's priorities, His word, His will, His way, none of your planning will be wasted. No, in that case, plan away. Plan a life centered around his priorities, his values, his purposes, his kingdoms. And and the story won't go exactly the way you plan it. That's okay, because God is writing a better story for his people. And none of your planning, even if it doesn't go exactly the way you planned it, will be wasted. Your efforts will be worthwhile and valuable because you are aligning them with God's values, God's priorities, and God's kingdom. God has a plan. We are not God. But his plan and his way is good. And so if you are following Christ, even if the plan, even if your story right now seems to be in a, in a dark place, in a, in a place where you wouldn't choose for it to be, you can be confident that the end of the story is wonderful. On the other hand, if you're not following Christ, if you're trying to write your own story, make your own plans, even if your story seems to be in the best spot right now, you can be assured in the end you will be disappointed. You can be sure that in the end you'll suffer great harm. So all of this brings us back again to Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. He is the sign that God loves us and is for us 
and means us well. So we must give our hearts and our lives and our planning and our future entirely to Him. Never ever will we regret that. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning. I pray for us as a people and as a church. Lord, there, there are all sorts of different attitudes, perspectives, feelings in this room this morning about the future. Some of us feel incredibly hopeful, incredibly optimistic. Some of us probably feel incredibly lost, concerned, and pessimistic. Some of us look to the future with great anticipation and joy. Some of us look to it perhaps with fear. Father, we need your attitude and your perspective. The story of this world isn't ultimately being written by us, but by you. And so, Father, I pray that you would graciously bring us into your story, into your plan, into your family. Lord, we need great wisdom. Oh, we need wisdom. We need your help and we need your grace. We need your help to to value in this life and prioritize in life the things that really matter, the things that are significant for eternity, which is very long, and not be myopically bound up with the things that matter only in this life, which is very short. Father, there are undoubtedly, there's undoubtedly people here this morning who are trying to write their story apart from you, to suppose that, that you can stand on the side, ambivalent to what they do or think, or how they plan, or what they value. Father, I pray for them great grace this morning. They would realize that you are God. We are not. We need our hearts to be turned again and again back to you. Help us to know and see, really feel and embrace that you are a good God, a loving God, a God who, who means to do us great good. Give us grace and strength to persevere when the road gets difficult, as it surely will as we continue forward, looking forward to that day when, when Jesus returns and we're brought to, to be with you and live with you and live in your plan, your eternal glorious plan forever. Father, may that day come soon. In the meantime, give us strength and wisdom to persevere. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.